0: Welcome to episode three, season two, Time with Attackers. Today we have Kevin Stittle on, um, owner and builder of the infamous K-Swift. And uh, before we got started there, we were just talking about weight. And uh, we went, we've got to start this podcast. This is exciting. So <laughs> Thank you. Welcome, Thanks Kevin. for having me. Let's just start. Let's just go r- right off the beginning. Can you just say that number again? Before you did the case off? k-swap in the k-swift what did it weigh with uh
1: so i was looking through one of the first videos that we did was with speed academy um and uh in that video the car weighed 1488 so that was with um (laughs) (laughs) that, that was with the swift motor um swift gearbox obviously uh most of the carbon work that we've done to it was on it at that point um there was there was probably a bit more weight that could have been taken or that we have taken out of it since then, um, in terms of like what was on the car at that point. Um, but yeah, so so uh, under fifteen hundred pounds was was kind it. of the lowest point that we had it.
0: It's it's funny because if you had like an EG Civic and if you get it like. 1999 you have done yeah. a hell of a job like they are you know they're not easy to get under 2000 pounds and to think that that thing would be you know more than 500 pounds lighter than that like uh you know uh, our buddy russ's uh white k-swapped eg civic um that car i believe weighs like 2180 mm-hmm. uh you know and, and that's not a race car like the swift it's still got glass in it and stuff like that but it's you know it's got a lot of lighter parts on it and stuff like that and it's like seven hundred. yeah that, and, crazy. Swift and it had a that. cage
1: at that point and it had oem glass so i i think it probably could have got easily down to like 1475 that's unbelievable
2: unbelievable
0: <laughs> and now everyone realizes why it was able to go so fast yeah, and not that, much yeah. Power. that is um there, there's basically
1: one thing that the swift has going for it and that it's lightweight so that's uh, that's kind of our our biggest advantage. That's
0: crazy. So, and what does it weigh now with the K and with actually I, I shouldn't go too far ahead. Let's let's talk about what well, <laughs> so a lot of people know. What does it weigh with the K and everything on now with your brother in it? Uh, my brother's pretty light. Um, yeah.
1: So sure. I think we're. Uh, 1850 with, with oh my driver and, and fully, you know,
2: fully on track weight. That is shocking. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. And, and that are you, good. are you willing to say how much power it makes with that weight? Um, um last year, everybody like, yeah, last, last
1: year we ran it at, um, or the last two years we ran it uh, at about 425 wheel. Um, my God. The motor, it, it was a conservative tune because at that point we were stock internals and, and we were on pump gas and stuff. So, you know, we wanted the car to be reliable. Um, we were also, you know, we had a a lot of development issues, obviously. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, putting a... Don't we all? Yeah, no. I, <laughs> um, but especially so, in a chassis like that. Yeah, sure. So, so basically yeah. we wanted to keep the motor... Um, reliable because it was just one thing that we wanted to eliminate from having to keep dealing with issues from when we were trying to sort everything out. Um, so there's, there's more power potential in the motor um, and we, and we'll probably run it a bit higher now. Um, we've done a full, you know, we, we blew up the motor at GridLife Midwest last year. So we went ahead and did a full, um, full motor build with forged internals, um, rods and pistons and head studs and, and, uh, valve train so we can push the motor now um but uh basically we've been running it at about 425
2: to the wheels that's unbelievable so 425 to the wheels 1850 with driver that really explains why that car is as fast as it really is and and you know putting a lot of uh other cars to shame myself included (laughs) (laughs) um yeah stupid casework
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's um it's i i think it's very it, it surprises me what the car does um and uh you know it's a big testament to my brother because everybody thinks that you know it's this this cute silly, easy car but it is it is anybody who drives it is like this thing just wants to kill me like it yep. is it is so difficult to drive because of Just so many, so many factors. And, you know, James, you drove it N.A. And I know, you know, I should let you comment on it, but um, I I, I just think it's, it's surprising how difficult it is to drive. So
0: it's, um, I'll just put it out there that, you know, I feel like I could probably do um, 50 laps in the Integra for about the same amount of effort as, you know, a three lap session in the Swift. Now, To be fair, I drove it on, on Falcons when it was about five degrees Celsius, but even still like those characteristics, you know, they might get, uh, masked by, you know, warmer day, more grip, whatever, but it is, it is a very, very involved car to drive. Definitely. Um, definitely the most of anything that I've ever driven. Like the Integra really is, uh, you know, I shouldn't, the Integra is not even that good of a comparison because that car, um, you know, until you turn the boost up right to the max, like that car at 700 wheel, um, until you're extracting the last second out of it, um, is, is quite, it's quite an easy car to drive, actually. Like, it's shocking how easy that car is to do a, you know, a 110 TMP in. Yeah. in the last second and a bit is, is difficult, but no, the Swift <laughs> is on a different level. So, totally on a different level. Yeah, I, I think actually
1: that's probably where a lot of our time has come from in the last um, two years is just making the car easier to drive. So when you drove it, it didn't have power steering, I don't think. Um, no. So we put a, an electric assist um, power steering in it, and uh, we got our, our brake bias and our brake setup dialed in much more, um, a bit more aero. Yeah, it was
0: doing, it was doing some – it wanted to swap in. Yeah, it was it doing a lot to of to a lot of really weird things.
1: Um, so now the car, you know, to drive the car at uh, 80%, 90% even is actually pretty easy now. It's it's not too bad. But as soon as you try to go 100%, that thing is like, it, it, it's crazy.
2: I, and it's one of the areas that I think a lot of people don't look at when they're building time attack cars is just, you know, we don't get a lot of time behind the wheel um, and, and that you know, if the car is hard to drive, if it's constantly trying to kill you, um, it's really hard to get that, that perfect lap, mm-hmm. in, right? Because you can't spend, you know, an hour session, you know, multiple times per day kind of figuring out and extracting that performance. So that's, that's really kind of cool to hear that you guys put a lot of effort into kind of just making the car a little bit easier. It still obviously requires uh, quite a great deal of uh, talent, but I mean, easier cars to drive are generally faster, I think, in the end.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah,
2: I mean, it's, it's um,
1: like you said, we, the one philosophy that we have tried to maintain is that, um, you know, we want the car, we we believe in, in time on track is going to equate to better lap times through development of the car, through development of the driver, um, you know, all that. So we really try to make the car built around being able to do, you know, if we're at grid life or CSCS, we want to be able to do a full session every session, and um you know not be limited to worrying about the car um not being able to take that so the cooling system in the car is fine to go as long as the fuel cell will will run it for um you know brakes same uh, all that stuff so we really try to gain our time through driver development um and maximizing the car that we have um and and when we're at new tracks learning the tracks um
0: And I think so many people would like to do more of that, and I think so many people, um, myself included, um, are just so addicted to to doing the next Mm -hmm. thing. And and I and I have really respected your uh, ability to, you know, say no, we're just going to keep on figuring this out because there's there's more there. And you know, you guys have just kept chipping away and chipping away, and it's like mind-boggling, you know, how fast yeah we keep finding time. So
1: you know and we, and we know through the data and we know through you know watching video and and what we're doing with the car that there's more time in it so um it it just for us it just kind of makes sense to keep going down that path um and and i think you know like i said the the rel- reliability was a big um turning point or stepping stone especially even even so I mean, it's, it's no secret that that car is not designed to be doing what it's doing. And a and the, the funny, funny story. Um, I was driving home from work a couple months ago, and I saw a, uh, a, a bone stock Geo Metro on the highway, on the 400 going home. Oh, and, and, <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, my God, look at that thing. So it's, I pulled up beside it, and I was driving around it and the thing is, was super clean, but it was, um, I was a young guy driving it. I was sure that it was, you know, some old lady's car that had been tucked away in a, in a garage for most of its life. Um, but, but the thing that amazed me was how basic, how like just economy, how not a race car that thing was. And I I was like, (laughs) I cannot believe that, you know, it put into perspective how far we've come with the car because, you know, just looking at the car and being around the car all the time, you kind of take for granted where it came from. And, and seeing that car was just like completely mind, mind blowing that, it, that, you know, we've taken a car that was that at one point and, and gotten to where we are and everything. So, you know, essentially everything on the car has always been or had to be custom built. Um, there's, there's literally no off the shelf parts for it other than, you know, now motor parts, because we've gone to the Honda, Honda motor, but, um, you know, a lot of the problems that we went through are all, all trial and error, um, from building custom axles. Um, we were having, building our own axles with our own splines machined into them to, cause we went wider. So, you know, there's no. Axle swaps available, and then going to the K that was another big problem. Um, we started
0: breaking axles quite often. So, uh, yeah, I remember when you first did that K. That was uh, that was a hell of a time. You were guys. Yeah, going
1: because because at that time we had um, obviously a Honda gearbox, but still Swift um, hubs. So we had to build a custom axle that was a, a Honda inner spline to fit the Honda CV, and we did a it tapered it down into a Swift outer spline to fit the the Swift CV, um, but the Swift one was just a little bit too small. It was smaller, so it would shear um, at that, you know, where it tapered down. And what we eventually did is we, you know, back to the drawing board, figured out how to get the outer hub bigger. So we retrofitted a Suzuki SX4 hub, which is like a little sort of mini crossover SUV thing that, that just, I went junkyard, picking and found a a hub that had um, a 32 mil center axle bolt or center axle nut and uh, pulled those off the car and figured out, you know, through making a shim, having a shim machined up, we were able to press in a Honda wheel bearing. So then we were able to run a Honda hub. So then we were able to run a Honda CV. So then, yeah, then the only thing that we had to do was have um, um, custom axle length made. But uh, Drive Shaft Shop was able to do that for us. So then we had basically, you know, OEM, Honda, inner, outer CVs. We had a bigger wheel bearing. We had a bigger hub, bigger upright. Um, and that, that solved all of our axle problems. And from there, then we were able to, like, push the car, start developing it, and start to see what it was actually doing. So until we could finally get the reliability, um, we weren't really able to to push the car and, and get the most out of it. So that was when we saw how much, you know, being able to run the car hard and, and, you know, go to the track and do 80, 90 laps on it um, on uninterrupted from failures. We realized how much we could improve and, and gain on lap time. So, you know, that kind of solidified the, the theory and the, and the process of, going down that route of development with the car rather than always changing things and always upgrading things.
2: Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a trap that a lot of time attack people get stuck in. Uh, I know I've gotten stuck in it multiple times um, and it's something that I, I always talk to with new people to the sport as well. Like, you know you get messages from people and they're like hey you know I'm trying to build a time attack car and you know what parts should I buy and you know what upgrades and how much horsepower should I have and 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 really now you know with the experience that I think most of us have I think the biggest thing is is really that track time and that driver development and being able to spend you know a 20 minute session in the car you know multiple times per day you're probably going to pick up way more speed than you would if you were you know, adding, you know, 200 horsepower every time you're going out, but you can only really turn, you know, mm-hmm. one lap. Yep. Right. And I think a lot of people lose that and it's so easy in time attack, right? Cause you're constantly just like, Oh, I can add more horsepower. I can add more downforce or more tire. All these things are available to us constantly. And we're like kids in a candy store almost, you know? And uh, it's, it's been awesome to watch you guys kind of just chip away at it. And, you know, you, the car externally doesn't really look like it's changing all that much, and, but it, it's just jumping you know, leaps and bounds. The, the progression I've seen you know, in terms of your lap times and things like that has just been mind boggling and uh, it's definitely caught me off guard and I know it's caught a lot of people off guard. Uh, the, abil- the amount of reliability you guys have been able to get out of the car now and, and, and the speed that you've been able to extract, I think is really, uh, really impressive.
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, and, and I totally agree. I mean, the, the rule sets allow Um, you to do whatever you want in time attack, you know, whether, whether or not you need to bump up a class or not, but regardless that, that freedom, I think um, lends itself to people just building more and more car. And, uh, you know, I think kind of one thing that's, that's been something that's carried over for my brother and I is we both. And in pro racing, you're very um, restricted to, rule set and how much you can you know change and modify the car so a lot of it is in setup work and a lot of it is in driver development and and learning the track and that's really the primary focus so we try to bring some of that philosophy and we we see how much even a pro driver can knock off um, time through a weekend so you know we know that you know my brother's good but he's nowhere near a pro driver so we know that his room for improvement and his room for gains through that kind of stuff is going to be, you know, half a second, seconds even. Um, you know, if, if, uh, if a refined pro that's in a good car that is good is, is able to take off, you know, tents, we know that there's a lot of room in car setup and, and driver learning in our car. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's definitely something that people uh, lose sight of. And I know it's something, it's one of the reasons why um, one of the things I always recommend for people is data, right? Especially in a time attack car, just because, you know, if you're not able to turn those, you know, 20 or 30 minute sessions because your car overheats or, or for whatever reason, um, at least if you have the data and you understand how to read data and, and how to kind of use it to your advantage, it's another way that you can still get that 20 minute yep. session, Uh, but do it in four or five laps, come in, look at the data, dissect everything, and then kind of, you know, create a plan for what you're going to do in your next session and things like that. Um, and that's, you know, another area where I think people, you know, can, can see huge, uh, increases in performance and, and, uh, and lap times, um, especially for what we're doing in, in time attack. So what is it? I mean, the fact that you're, you're also in the pro side of racing, what are some of the things that you you see like contrasting between you know what you're seeing in pro racing and what you're seeing in time attack um you know which one are you are you uh, more interested in to be honest Um it, it it's it's kind of interesting and
1: I I actually think about this a lot because it's um it's very different in some ways and in some ways it's the same um so I just, I really like the grassroots feeling of, of uh, the stuff that I do with my car. You know, it's, it's kind of been my roots and it's where I, you know, I've spent countless hours in the, in the garage working on my own car and, and learning and developing. And, you know, you go to the track with family and, and it's, um, you know, it's, it's a very different experience in, in many ways, um, than the pro side there you get some some of the same, um, you know, I don't know if emotions is the right word, but some of the same enjoyment with the pro thing. Um, but it is a very different experience. Um, so obviously you're still at the track, but um, I, I don't know how to explain it. I think, I think... Um,
2: I, I'm, I'm drawing a
1: blank on how to how to describe this, but uh, <laughs> I,
2: I get I get where you're coming from. I mean, I, I I look at it very similarly. I mean, the the personal aspect. I think that uh, that you get with time attack, the fact that we're, you know, we're putting that mm-hmm. blood, sweat, mm-hmm. and tears into the car. Mm-hmm. We, we were we're talking about it a little bit yesterday. We, we were talking with uh, Jeremy and uh, and Ferris. You know, we brought up a a point of uh, or I think it was Jeremy brought up a point of, you know, if we could do it all over again, would we just buy, uh, you know, a Porsche GT4, which probably would cost the same amount of money as what we have put into our Time Mm -hmm. Attack cars and Mm -hmm. just go out and, you know, be able to lap the crap out of it and and enjoy yourself. Um, And but with Time Attack, I I think that's really the big appeal is that, you know, you mentioned the family and, and, and the friends and, you know, you get to do it with your dad and your brother and you're putting all that time into the car and you're extracting, you know, that perfect lap or, or you know, that near perfect lap for the performance of the car. And it's just it's so rewarding yeah. to yeah. get that. And, and you know, we're so small, like when you compare us to to what, you know, even some low budget professional racing teams are doing, um, you, you know, we're 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 a blip on the radar really in terms of our budgets and the people that we have access to. And the fact that we're able to just do anything, um, I think is, you know, really impressive. And, uh, it, it comes with its own, um, you know, joy and, you know, it's not always fun and it's not always right. Yeah. It it doesn't always go the way that you plan, but when it does, man, does it Mm -hmm. ever feel good Mm -hmm. to have that, uh, you know, kind of work out in your favor and, 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 you know, get that performance, especially, I mean, for your car, it's always going to be that kind of like David versus, versus yeah. Goliath. Right. I mean, you look at it, a, everyone's like, yeah, it's a Swift. Like, Hey, what, what the hell's going to happen there? And it's like, Oh crap, that, that just beat up a, a Corvette. Right. Like it was like, what the hell's <laughs> going on here? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, um,
1: so I'm i I'm a team manager for, um, for a team that runs in, weather tech uh, sports car challenge in uh, in IMSA and I think one of the main differences is you know being a team manager um, I have different roles on the team so you know when I'm at the track with my car I'm hands-on working on the car kind of involved in the car in a different way um, which brings a certain kind of gratification and you know interaction Uh, on the pro side I'm a team manager so I'm Dealing with people, I'm, uh, you know, just doing a completely different role and task, um, which definitely brings gratification in a different way. And, And I just, you know, I just feel like even though we're playing with, you know, crazy equipment and, you know, the haulers and the whole show and the whole kit and caboodle and, you know, everything that anybody would ever dream of having. You know, that's, that's what we have. And that's what we're running with, you know, big budgets and everything. But it, I still have probably more gratification. Well, I wouldn't say more, it's just different. I mean, going to the track with your own car, and your own program, um, with a small group, you just, I, I. it's a, it's a different fulfillment. Um, and, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I totally love what I do. I, it, it's amazing. Um, Working with the pro team and, and uh, everything that we see and do and the, and the, the um, opportunities there. I mean, we just had, we had Kyle Busch drive for us at the uh, Daytona 24, which was you know, a cool experience. And, and uh, yeah, just being involved in a program of that size and, and seeing the, the workings of it and what goes into it and all the, the legwork behind the scenes, dealing with mechanics, dealing with engineers, dealing with the drivers dealing with, you know, everything around that is, is, uh, just brings a different, different challenge and different fulfillments, but it's kind of in a way, uh, distant uh, or separated from the feeling that you get being at the track with your own car in, in your own grassroots, you know, area.
0: I also, I also really feel that the, the levels of, um, know the roller coaster of emotions is so different in that mm-hmm. form of racing too, you know, especially not even just endurance racing, but in pro racing you kind of know when you're gonna do well and you kinda know when you're not gonna do well. And it doesn't all of a sudden just kind of blip and happen. Um but in time attack you just really never know what's gonna that's happen. True. You know, you can be having just an absolutely terrible weekend and you know make a little change or fix something that's been acting up and like bang you just set a lap that's gonna be you know that's gonna win the event. Whereas You know, especially in the endurance racing, you know, it's everyone, the whole team for the whole weekend with a good qualifying effort, you know, to have a kind of a good finish. And I feel like it that just kind of changes the the build up to it and and kind of changes how like how much excitement you could be like, you know, we've all had events over the years where we kind of had no expectations at all. And then like, bam, holy shit, we just set the record and now we're partying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and that's when that happens that's you know one of my absolute favorite times in in time attack and in any sort of racing that i've experienced
1: yeah 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 um
0: a, so sorry go ahead. no Where's no it? it's it's
1: it's just uh you know i wish i could articulate it better or or, or maybe i should have thought about it more but it, it's um you know they're obviously both <laughs> forms of motorsport and and i enjoy them both just they're kind of pre- give it a, a different obviously a different experience and a different uh feeling of fulfillment and, and enjoyment
0: so going forward what's uh what are the plans with the swift we you know we know that you're 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 not rushing into any huge uh huge big changes but uh kind of what is your plan for this coming season whenever it may happen and you know, what, where do you see the car a couple of seasons from now? Like, what are the, you know, the changes that you'd like to make and, uh, and, and, and looking forward to?
1: Um, so right now, again, we're still kind of working on refining our reliability. We had issues with control arms last year. Um, so the, the pickup point at the rear of the control arm is kind of like a, a pin in the control arm that goes through a spherical and although we beefed up the control arms, um, that pin diameter never changed from OEM. So through braking and acceleration, it was actually shearing that pin. So, yeah, we broke a few control arms last year. So um, we're redesigning that um, so that we can, you know, have reliability there. And in doing that, we also want to redesign the subframe brace that we've had on it. Um, it's an old car. I mean, it's a 1990 and it was a streetcar before that. So it's, it's starting to get tired in a few areas. So we want to try to preserve the integrity of the frame and, and increase some of the bracing just for flex and, and movement in, the, in suspension mounting areas. Uh, so we're working on that also to make it a little bit more serviceable last year we had an issue with the gearbox um so we were you know gearbox in and out a few times and and to do a gearbox on that car you can't even pull the serpentine belt out without pulling the motor out because it's that tight against the frame rail. so uh we're making it a little bit more serviceable um, so that we don't have to take everything apart pull the whole engine and gearbox out just to do anything with the gearbox or uh trying to increase serviceability there a little bit um looking at put we've got a set of prototype neo air jacks that we're looking at putting in um yeah just to you know similar to chris just to make it a little bit more serviceable at at the tracks you know um and it's cool. It's fun. It's, 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 (laughs) yeah, I was about to say it's 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 mostly the fun. It's mostly (laughs) the fun. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll be honest about that. It doesn't make sense in terms of, uh, in terms of making the car faster on track because it is added weight. But the thing is, is, is I build my car to what I want and, and I have to like my car. I have to have fun with my car. And that's just something that I want. It's something that, I think is cool and, and neat. And, and, uh, if it makes you happy, then just, just do it. I mean,
0: and whether it's 1850 <laughs> or 1875 with driver, you're still, you know, yeah. hundreds <laughs> and hundreds and hundreds of pounds lighter than the rest of the field anyway. Yeah, for sure.
1: Um, yeah. so yeah, I mean, we are, we are still looking at ways to get the car lighter. We could do a titanium exhaust. We could do, you know, the, the hood that I have on it right now is one of the first pieces that I ever built, um, out of carbon. And actually it's primarily a uh, fiberglass core. So it's, it's not that light. Um, I could probably get 10 pounds out of it if I, if I built a new hood. Wow. Um, so there's, there's still some areas that we could probably refine and, and shave weight out of the car. I think that's weight to me. weight like I said, that's, that's our biggest asset in the car. That's our biggest strength. So anywhere that we can pull weight out, it just helps in every other area. It helps in acceleration, helps in braking, helps in wear and tear. Um, so we really want to try to maximize that strength. Um, so anywhere that we can find some more weight, we'll try to pull some more weight out of it. Um, that's super cool. Yeah.
0: It's super cool that you guys aren't kind of resting on that. It's not like, well, we're the lightest anyways. You know what? doesn't matter. You're like the lightest and still trying to be lighter. Whereas so many, you know, so many cars, they're not putting anywhere near the effort to continue the process of getting lighter, Yet some of those cars weigh, you know, that you're competing against weigh fifteen hundred pounds mm-hmm. more than yours does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but and we are light, but we are,
1: you know, we're on a small tire. The biggest tire we can run is a two forty five, uh, two forty five uh, fifteen, um, and you know we're we're not anywhere near the power of a lot of the cars we run against. Um, but yeah, we try to make up that difference in weight, so. It it kind of makes sense to try to just keep maximizing. Yeah, that. You and
0: I, you, you and I have joked about the tires a lot. We'll say the biggest tire that you choose to run is a two forty five. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And any, no, no,
1: no, no, no. I mean, that's that's a valid point. Anything, anything you want to do is possible. Anything that you are willing yes. to put enough time, energy, money, effort into, you can do it. We could, we could, yeah. we could put, you know, whatever, whatever size tire we felt we needed on the car we could do that um whether i would still like the car you know <laughs> that that car yeah, with no, with an 18 it, inch wheel on it would i it would look, it would pretty, look pretty funny, funny. <laughs> it would look And you very know what
0: it it honestly changes things and and the kind of recipe that you guys have is is obviously working quite well so um the, you know the longer the further the development gets with that car and the and the more that you guys keep chipping away at it, the more I'm like, Well, maybe it maybe it's not as important on that car as, you know. We were always kind of giving the integra the big hammer um process and, and you guys haven't you guys have gone to like a version of that, not a you know, kinda not exactly the same. So um I'm quite impressed how you've been able to figure out how to put power to the ground with that car with such a such a short tire because we've always found um, you know, such huge gains and, and had so so much struggle putting power down on a short tire on the Integra. But uh, you guys have figured it out,
2: and I commend you for it. Yeah. Well, and tires have come a long way too, right? I mean, before, when we look back, even a couple of years ago, there was not a lot of options in a 15-inch no, no. tire, basically. Even, you know, even in the Canadian series where we're stuck on the Pirellis, uh, yeah, were, we're, you're know, we're were kind a 12, five limited.
1: Yes, yes so
2: yeah yeah so i mean now you know you have the nankangs that got 245 you have rival s's and you know those are all very sticky um you know very grippy tires i've heard that the new falcons are going to have a 245 as well so um it definitely seems like it's it's uh people are mm-hmm. starting to listen and, and realizing that uh, you know, that is a popular tire size, especially, you know, in the Miata community and, and some of the smaller, you know, even uh, civics and things like that. So it's, it's definitely, I, 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 I think you're probably in a good spot, even if you went to an 18 inch uh, wheel setup. I mean, you're mm-hmm. going to be running the same tires anyway. Yeah. No, uh, we've been running the Nanking
1: air ones and they're, they're amazing. It's, it's, so awesome that there has been a bit of a, a a growth in 15 inch tire selection. Um that's that's yeah, like a couple of years ago it was like, well, we got no options. So now it's nice to finally have a few options that are, you know, get us in a, a comparative range of tire size because everything's relative. We're we're on a skinnier tire, but we're lighter and and uh so you know, power to weight and tire patch to weight ratio is probably is, is not it's maybe maybe even yeah i mean it's competitive <laughs> we're able to be competitive so um you know that's the main thing also cost is is always um a bit of a factor for me because you know i don't have unlimited fundsters. I've funds i've spent way too much money on the car already so um, anywhere that I can minimize costs. So I've thought about going to the bigger tires, but the bigger tires, more expensive. Um, the other the other yep. thing that stops me from going to the bigger tires is we have a difficult time getting heat into the tires that we have because of the weight. So, um, you know, it, it takes us a couple laps to get a 245 up to temp. So if we went to, you know, a 295 or whatever, a 310, whatever, whatever the biggest, available tire size is i don't know that we would ever really be able to use that tire optimally because i don't know that we would ever get it up to temperature in you know a, a session you know certainly not in like a finals or a, a bracket finals any of that it,
0: I, it would, would be difficult i would i yeah i would argue that the only reason why i would argue that is on the AO 52 that chris is running and now that uh, i'm running on the on the TLS, tsx gltc car um we were always finding that uh, it was really, really good right out of the box mm-hmm. and, uh, Andy Hollis, um, who, you know, long time, uh, autocross competitor and one lap of America competitor. And, you know, has probably done more tire testing for grassroots motorsports than maybe anyone in North America said that they found all their testing through all their testing that the AO 52, uh, performed best with zero heat, zero residual mm-hmm. heat in it whatsoever. So that, that would be my only, my only counter to that. Most tires that we're working with, you know, Trofeos and, and, you know, probably the AR ones and some of those, they all, they all want heat, need heat to work. But I have been shocked, you know, when we were racing at Coda with the TSX, everyone, you know, around us was on Hoosiers and they were scrubbing, 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 scrubbing on the warmup lap. I'm just driving around in sixth gear waiting for the thing to start. And, uh, and it was just unbelievable from the first corner with no heat in it whatsoever. So you know always able to have that in the back of your mind too when you're kind of deciding you know what way you want to go cuz it is shocking how much um some of these 200 treadwear tires grip that they can provide with uh with no heat yeah. whatsoever yeah for
1: sure and, and
0: uh yeah you, you we
1: won't know until we try um and yep. uh i yep. although i'm against it right now i'm not going to say that that may never happen in the future because when <laughs> i was you know when i was with the swift Motor, I never would have thought about going to a Honda motor just because of being a purist and wanting to stick it out with that, you know, that motor. Or a 10 inch,
0: or a 9 or a 10 inch, or whatever, 245.
2: Who who knows where
1: things will be years from now, right? Or, I don't know, depending on how much time we have on our hands months from now. (laughs) (laughs) um, Yeah, no, I'm not going to say it's never never a possibility, but um, right now it's not the direction we're looking at going.
0: Yep. No, I, I, I commend you for it. It's, uh, the, the, the level of, um, you know, performance improvements you have been making to that car and driver improvements and reliability and whatever you want to call it, whatever graph you've, you know, you have, um, of, of lap time is like, you know, the reverse of the world outbreak of coronavirus <laughs> right now. Like that car has just been plunging, um, in lap times season after season the last couple of years. So it's, uh, for me to say no 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 you need to have to you know you need to put a 315 3018 on the front of that thing right now uh I, you know i'd want to see your your you know your lap time start to plateau before you'd make a you know such a violent change yeah. like that because who knows what the next thing's going to break is it's going to start breaking the control arms again is well it gonna yeah bend i mean it's going to break the drive every, every
1: change has an effect in other areas right so as soon as you go up into a, a bigger rim you're putting more leverage and more load on on your wheel bearings on your uprights on suspension components so um yeah. you know it's it is kind of scary how much we're putting load onto that car that wasn't originally designed for it so i always have that in the back of my mind um you know it's been the car has also been a learning a learning process, a learning tool. I started building that car before I knew any, I, I've learned all of my mechanical skills through building that car. So that generally means that some of the things that I've done in the past may not be how I would do them now. Um, you know, the cage, the cage, the back half of the cage that we put in originally, is it sufficient? Yeah. But is it, you know, to the level that I would feel comfortable now and would, would feel comfortable with it on a big track going, you know, excess of you know, you know, two hundred and fifty k or wh- whatever it would whatever it would do on an open straightaway. Not, not so much. So,
0: um, I, knowing from what we did with our roadtrek setup at the, at road Atlanta um, with the Integra, it would probably go two hundred and seventy at road Atlanta. Yeah. So so there's there's a there's an interesting <laughs> fact for your your listeners.
1: The K Swift actually has um, James's old
0: roadtrek charger on it so yep it lives on lives on Mm -hmm. yeah but that like yeah like you say for sure like that car would I would be shocked if it didn't go 270 on the back straight at Road Atlanta so that uh, like you say it's all these things that you know we have to consider and weigh out and you know I think when you choose what events you go to with that car you oftentimes kind of consider that too right yeah we
1: we want to stick to the smaller tracks you know TMP is a great track for us Gingerman's a great track for us um
0: I think Gingerman last year, everyone kind of was like, "Wait, what?" happened yeah. Right there when you guys, yeah, you, know, what you the only hell? turned a couple laps and <laughs> did a thirty-three, and and then it failed. And I think that you're almost like the boogeyman over there because you're like, they're all like, "What? How, how fast would <laughs> this car have gone if it yeah. had the you know the second
2: and the third day?" No, I know. Well, well I yeah. remember Jeremy came over uh, after the first day and was like. Who, who the hell is this <laughs> who, like who drives the swift and we're like we're like yeah you wanted to know all like everything about yeah. what you guys were doing right and uh it was it was funny because we had a, a bunch of people that came by and asked us like where the hell did this car come from and why is it so fast yeah right? yeah that um
1: it was it was great to see what the car kind of did out of the box um you know it's it's always it's always easy and tempting to sit here and say oh it had so much more in it um we could have done more based on the data that we had and what we were running it at. Yeah. It probably could have, but it didn't, it, it blew up at that point. So that's what it had in it. Um, do we think that, you know, we've got more time in it if we go back this year? Yeah, of course. But, um, yeah, it's super, super, uh, it was nice to have the car out at a big event like that and start to showcase, you know, what, what kind of potential we have in it. Um, and, and it's, uh, yeah, it's always fun to go up against the, uh, the, the big cars the vipers and the corvettes and and chris's car and <laughs> and uh yeah it's and hit them really
0: really hard with an itty bitty yeah. hammer <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's cool i mean i i've
1: um it's awesome the uh the attention that the car gets or or you know oh, my dog's someone outside um yeah, he agrees. Yeah. He agrees. Um, no, I, I. To be honest, the first time that I ever brought the car out was uh, was to a CSCS event, and I was I was kind of nervous and shy because I was like, oh my god, I'm gonna I'm gonna get laughed at, and and you know people are gonna ridicule this car. But um, oddly enough, uh, the first time we took it out, Peter Peter Tarek, and uh, he was there from at the time he was editor for Modified Magazine. And he came by and he was like, what is it? Like, not what is this thing, but uh, look at this car. This is amazing. I want to do a a feature article on it, like right away. And I'm like, what really? Like you're, this is not a joke. Like you actually (laughs) like the car. And I mean, I like it because it's my car, but it's an odd, you know, it's not, it's not a civic. It's not your common car, but yeah, people were just super stoked on it. And so many people were coming by to check it out and see it. And, and, you know, that's, that's really continued. So it's awesome to get out and hear everybody's stories about how oh, I used to it's amazing how many people they, they have two things to say they're either oh I used to have one of these or my buddy used to have one of these and and they have you know good memories of it and they're like oh yeah it used to be really quick for back in the day or they don't know what it is and they're like is this a <laughs> is this a geometro is this a what the heck is it um and and a funny story that uh that Steve Bordolotti told me Steve's a uh, team manager for FAF um, motorsports and, and a couple seasons ago, I guess they brought Scott Hargrove out in the, in the GT3 Porsche and uh, because of the times we were running, we were on the track at the same time as, as Scott um, and Scott went back to Steve and was like, that white car, what is it? Um, and, uh, and, and Scott's <laughs> 20, uh, he's, he's low 20, 20, 22, 23 years old. And, and Steve realized that Scott was so young that he's never, ever even seen one of these on the road. So, he didn't know what it was. So he didn't even know what it was. And he's like, yeah, like I saw this thing out on the track. And, and you know, Scott's a pro and he's in, you know, a half million dollar car and, and uh, or probably more. Um, and uh, he's at a, a local event and he's, he's worried about, you know, being around unpredictable people or or cars that you know he's he doesn't want to uh, have any incidents so he's like you know i was like super worried about this car and and i was behind it and then and then i couldn't catch it he was like (laughs) he's like i i was able to get around it but like i had i had to try he's like what what the (laughs) hell So he's like, is that a three-quarter scale EF? Yeah. Or what is that thing? So, yeah, it, it's funny. It, it surprises a lot of people, um, which which is cool. Um, people, it gets attention and, and people like it. And, and I get to talk to a lot of people about it because um, people come by and they have stories of Swifts that they used to know or own. And, and it's a nostalgia trip. And yeah, it's just something different. Something that, you know, people don't, don't generally see at the track. So that's always, always fun to, to share, you know, what I've done with the car and, and, um, also other Swift owners, you know, I have people message me from around the world asking about the car and asking about things I've done to it. And, you know, now, uh, there's a handful of Swifts around the world that have gone to K swap and, and, you know, it's in some ways, it's definitely been a trendsetter for, for the Swift community. Um, so it's it's neat. Um it's it's opened up some opportunities and so cool. and doors and things that I never ever thought would have been possible, you know, being a a twenty twenty some odd year old kid working on a little Swift in his garage and where it's you know, the things that it's that I've learned through it, the things that it's taught me, brought me, places it's taken me, friendships. friendships. I mean, both of you guys, um, you know, I wouldn't wouldn't know you guys without my car
0: and and yeah, it's just, well, my, and- the first thing I can remember, the first thing I can remember about you, about you and kind of knowing who you were and stuff like that is I remember seeing this picture. I had known your car was there at, at the old DDT at a CSCS event. And I saw this picture and the thing was like, looked like it was ready to jump <laughs> over. It was up on two wheels yep. so high. And I was like, that thing is rad. I want to know more about this guy. This yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. That was, that was during the modified yep. uh, photo shoot it. My brother had a curb in a corner and, and it was like, you'd swear, you'd swear it was on a 45 degree angle. Like I've still,
0: yeah. Oh, it was yeah. way up there. Yeah.
1: And uh, so was, <laughs> you could have driven a
0: go-kart underneath the right side yeah, of the car. Like- it, <laughs> it, 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 it,
1: that was one of the big performance jumps that we made was it, it's just so top heavy. Um, so, uh, you know, cutting, we cut the roof off. We cut all the inner bracing out of the roof line. We cut the center portion out of the roof put a carbon you know roof skin on it uh, and just really worked on on, uh, center gravity weight on the car Um, and that was a huge huge thing because it it would have tipped over (laughs) yeah (laughs) but no like I said I mean that that car has brought so much more to my life um, than just you know racing and just lap times and and, you know, I look at it as an education. I look at it, you know, a, a big reason why even I have the job I have now is because of that car. Not, not specifically because of that car, but because of the paths and the routes and, and what it's led me to and what it's um, taught me and the people that I've met. Um, you know, that, that's led me to a career in, in motorsports. So it's you, when you feel... I hope this doesn't sound like self-justifying, but um, when when you feel guilty about <laughs> the time, the money and everything that you spend on your car, um, you got to remember that there's more that you get out of it than just taking it to the racetrack and, and a lap time and, and uh, you know, all of those things. I'm, I mean, I know both you guys are super close with your family. You you go to the track with your family, um, but yeah, the, the, the friendships and, and the lessons and, life lessons i mean perseverance and and drive and and you know nothing comes easy when you're trying to do things out of the norm and and push limits and you know those are things that you can really take to other areas of your life and and um yeah i I mean it's there's, there's more to it than what you just get out of it on on the surface of driving a car faster on a racetrack yeah i
2: i I can't agree more. I mean, over the last couple of years, I mean, one of the big changes that I've, I've brought to my program is, you know, we were always so focused on just lap times and, and, you know, being the fastest and, and uh, breaking records. And and that can get really tough uh, when you're not getting the results that you want to get. And when you take that step back and and you're talking about family, you're talking about friends, like all these other aspects that kind of come with racing and with time attacks specifically, I think those are things that, you know, are, are important to, to think about and and to, to appreciate, right. The fact that, you know, we get to go to the track and meet up with all these people from all over, you know, the U S and Canada and, and, you know, have conversations with them and smiles and laughs and, you know, getting to spend time with your friends and family, you know, I think those are, are, are memories that you're, you know, you're never going to, you're never going to lose them. They're always going to be there, whether you, got the record at that event or not, you'll probably forget about that over time. But the memories you get to make with your friends and your family at the track, I think is something that will live with you forever. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think the way you put it is, is pretty inspirational. And, uh, it's almost like (laughs) a church service happening here today with all these you know we can't go to church right now but we got kevin
0: preaching over here
2: it's it's you know it really is it it's one of the things that it's hard to explain to people who don't race um you know but it it really is It, it it all of those other aspects definitely come into it and the community and the people that you meet and and the 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 effect that it has on your regular life is is for sure there and definitely with time attack because that that struggle is really there you know the perseverance to be able to stay up for 24 hours getting a car done and then drive you know eight hours to get to the track and and then you know put that time in you know to get the, the the car and the lap and all that stuff translates to everything else in your life and i think that's that's a huge aspect of what we do and I think that's a perfect spot to to end off today. I mean, this has been such a, a great conversation and, and uh I feel very inspired now. <laughs> feel like I can really tackle yeah. my day.
0: <laughs> no, thanks. No, it was great having you on, Kevin. That's the you know, what you guys have done, you know, with the build and with the development and everything like that is just uh it's, it's very inspiring and should be inspiring to, you know, very inspiring to us and, and should be very inspiring to, to anyone building a time attack car. You know, it's uh, it it doesn't have to be cookie cutter. You know, you can definitely, you know, look at things many different ways to, to get to your goals. So, um, you know, I think it just shows people, hey, don't be afraid to to try something a bit different as long as you're willing to put that development in. If you want to if you want to, you know, a fun car to turn a lot of laps in and you're not you know you don't have a good support system to to do a lot of fabrication and stuff like that absolutely choose a choose something that's easy but if if you're into the build and you've got you know friends that can fab and you know are willing to support you do something crazy it's it's, it'll lead you down a fun path i think
1: that's that's kind of yeah what what i my advice would be is is enjoy the journey and enjoy the process and and uh you know the time that you can spend at the track is going to be limited um but the time that you have working on the car and And developing relationships and friendships and learning and and that kind of stuff that's that has a lot of value so um enjoy that part of it and and think about that part of it and and that will lead to you know an overall fulfilling experience building a race car so um yeah just uh just (laughs) trying to trying to make make people aware that there's more to it than just what you see on the track
0: Wow! Yep. <laughs> wow! We'll end it right there. Thank you guys so much again for listening. Thank you for for being on, Kevin. That was uh, inspiring, and uh, you know we look forward to having more great episodes. Right on. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>